Welcome to the Daily Bible Podcast, the show intended to help you get more out of your everyday time in the Word. This is a ministry of Compass Bible Church in North Texas, and if you'd like to join along with our daily Bible reading program, you can do so by going to compassntx.org and clicking on the Daily Bible Reading tab. Thanks for joining in for today's episode of the Daily Bible Podcast. Hey everybody, and welcome back to another episode of the Daily Bible Podcast. Happy Monday. It is Monday. And uh, we're glad that you're, you're joining us. This will hopefully set your Monday on a good trajectory if you're listening to us in the morning. If you're listening to us in the evening, then we hope you had a great Monday. Hope you had a great day. Either way, we are glad that you're here with us. And we are back for another episode. And we are starting a brand new book in this, uh, this morning's episode of the Daily Bible Podcast. Da, 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 da. And it is the book of, uh, of Ezra, although it, it's kind of the book of Ezra Nehemiah, right? Oh, good point, yeah. Be- because in the original text, the original Hebrew Bible, uh, these were one book. They weren't mm. separated. They were together as one. Um, and there's a lot of overlap in the material, and it's all having to do with the same time frame. So you don't need to panic and go, oh, no, I've got Ezra and Nehemiah. I need to throw out my Bible. Don't throw out your Bible. Uh, they just, for uh, for clarity and, and dividing purposes, they decided to, to create two where there had been one. Which is a good reminder to us that our divisions in the Bible, verse, chapter divisions, things like that, uh, are not part of what we would refer to as the the inspired text. What? Uh, they are part of, of decisions made by editors. And so where you get a chapter that ends in one place or a verse that ends somewhere or starts somewhere, it's not like when we get to the Gospel of John, John was writing John 19 and said, okay, and this is the end of verse 23. And now mm. this is where verse 24 is going. He was just writing. Um, and it, I think it's more easy, uh, more easy. It's more easier. It's more easiest. It's most easiest. Um, it's, it's easier for more us getter. to understand that when it comes to letters, because we've all written a letter or an email and you're, unless you're a, a very strange individual, <laughs> you're not, I'm going to write emails to you now, Pastor Rod with verses in them. And chapter divisions, please. Yes. Chapter one, <laughs> dear Pastor Rod, verse one, please turn down your music. Verse two. <laughs> you can't even hear That's my music. It. That's true. I can't, I can't. Um, but Ezra and Nehemiah, so we've separated them out, and uh, just for, for sake of clarification and organization in our Bibles today, but originally it was it was one account. Mm-hmm. And uh, just to give you kind of a, a sketch really quickly of what's going on here. So 586 BC would have been the fall of Judah and the destruction of the temple. So Oof. 586. Uh, then 538 BC is where Second uh, Chronicles ends, and the book of Ezra opens, and that's Cyrus's decree that those that desire and those whose hearts the Lord stirred, as we'll talk about here in a little bit, uh, could go back to Jerusalem to rebuild the temple. So that's 538 BC. That's also the end, technically, of the exile of, uh, of, of, of Judah there. The 70 years of exile ends there with that decree uh, made by Cyrus and the, the beginning of the return to to Jerusalem there. Uh, 516 BC, then, the, the temple is finished. The temple is completed. Um, and then in 458 BC, you've got uh, Ezra in Jerusalem, uh, coming into Jerusalem there. So Ezra doesn't come to Jerusalem until uh, 458 BC, which is uh, not when this book begins. That's and right. So who wrote the book of Ezra? Jesus. Jesus. Is that the right answer? Well, I mean, that's yeah, always the right answer, yeah. isn't it? I mean, it? men were carried along by the Spirit. Yeah, okay, Peter so the says. Spirit of Jesus. Jesus. God did. God. Uh, right. The Bible. So, long story short, 
it, we're not exactly sure. Um, there are definitely parts of the book of Ezra where we will get to where clearly it is Ezra writing in the first person there. And so we know that he had a hand in some of it. And it's possible that he had a hand in all of it, that he compiled the records from others that uh, gave him an idea of what was going on here. But the main players in the book of Ezra that we'll encounter is Zerubbabel in chapters 1 through 6, um, Ezra in chapters 7 through 10. And then when we jump over to the book of Nehemiah, shock, uh, it, Nehemiah will take over there. Hmm. Um but a good way to remember some of these names, Zerubbabel came back to rebuild the temple when it was rubble. The temple was rubble, and oh, Zerubbabel, Zerubbabel was there to yeah, rebuild. I see and what then you did. Nehemiah had to, to rebuild the walls when they were only Nehemiah rebuilt the walls. Oof, that one is a little more of a stretch, but I see what you did, and I appreciate it. It's Pastor not original. PJ. It was some Sunday school thing that just was a, it stuck in my, my brain. Okay. Well, again, then it was effective. It was. It was effective. It was. But the first two chapters of Ezra is what we're reading today, and uh, there's uh, chapter one is significant because the decree of Cyrus goes forth, and uh, it, it's in fulfillment of of the words of Jeremiah, and that has to do with the seventy years of captivity there in uh, in in Babylon, and this is the end of it. The decree goes out; they're, they're able to go back, and mm-hmm. it says that that all who uh, whose spirit God stirred, there it is in verse five, uh, to go up to rebuild the house of the Lord that is in Jerusalem. Now, we're planting a church here and getting ready to launch this church. Woohoo. And uh, and we are here with a bunch of people who God stirred their hearts to leave California mm-hmm. and to come with us on this church plant. And man, I don't know about you, Pastor Rod, but I am immensely thankful for, for that work in them. Not just that he stirred your heart to, to come on this crazy adventure with me. Yep. Um, <laughs> but also, you know, all these families that we could go off and list, but who who came with us on this. It's so cool. And that's what's going on here mm. on a much more you know, grand scale to go back and rebuild the temple. We're building one church here, which is a lot to do, but, but th- that's what's going on here. It's such a cool thing. And in chapter two, you get kind of the, the account of who those people were. Can I ask a question before you keep talking? Yeah. So we didn't open up the book of Chronicles together as we started podcasting. We kind of started a uh, second Chronicles. So I'm going to ask the question that everyone's thinking. Do I have to read all the names in chapter two? Why do those names really matter? I don't, I don't know who Shamlai is. Does it matter to my life if I know who Shamlai is? It's hard, right? And, mm. and we'll admit that to you guys as, as pastors. It's hard to get through some of these sections and go, okay. It, or even I think about like the, the measurements of the temple or the, the right. materials for the temple. It's and like, they say okay. cubits, right. not feet and inches, right. I'm like, which is still that, bothers Is that where it's like the hand breadth or is that the what from my forearm to my hand? And you're trying to remember... I think it's important for us to to understand why this is in the Bible. God didn't put it in the Bible for us to just get bored or for us to just kind of like, can I just skip over this? Can I get through mm-hmm. it? And so there's a couple of thoughts here. Number one, each and every one of these names was a historical person that God used during this time to accomplish his purpose and his plan. Uh, and so that's important for us to remember. This real is people. Yeah. This is not your favorite, you know author who's writing a, a work of fiction, just trying to come up with names and throwing a, a, a bunch of names on a page, mm. page there. Those I'm were real people. you, Book of Mormon. Right. <laughs> Yikes. Shots fired, <laughs> but accurately. Um, it, it, but not only that, it, it's a reminder that, it, that this was an organized task, that this was not just haphazard, that this was not just like, okay, uh, everybody just come on and, and find a, a place and, and pick up some stones and start throwing them together and maybe the temple will come out of it. Mm. This was organized, and this is not a prehistoric people who didn't know how to, to keep records and accounts and, and, 
and track these things. So we can read a, a passage like this and be encouraged in our faith to know that this is, uh, this is so detailed, that God is a God of detail. He's a God of order, not chaos. We see that reflected in a, in a, a chapter like chapter two. And it's an encouragement to us to know, man, this is reliable and trustworthy. Yeah. And one other factor to consider too, is that the names are in here in part because the people of Judah were tasked to guard the gates of even those who served in the temple. The Levites uh, were to be the ones who had charge over the temple. And then you had those from the the, priest, uh, the family of the priests. Those weren't just anybody. They had to be specific people that God called. And this is why it's important for some of these people. They had no way to prove their lineage, and so they weren't allowed to be part of the temple rebuild. That's an important feature because that's going to play largely. When you start getting into the New Testament, you open up the Gospel of Matthew, you're going to see a long list of names. You're going to be like, well, did anyone really trace that back? Yes, they did. They kept fastidious records, uh, not only for the preservation of the line of the Messiah, but also for stuff like this, rebuilding the temple by the right people at the right time. When we jump over to our uh, our New Testament reading today, which, uh, hey, look at that. We're in the New Testament, like nine minutes in. That's what you get when you've got a, a whole chapter of names and numbers. We're so efficient. In the Old Testament. Um, and, and this is a good chapter to spend some extra time in. This is a good chunk of, uh, of the New Testament reading to spend some extra time in because this is, this is the, the, the pinnacle of the gospel. This is Christ on the cross. Um, and just as we go through the, the crucifixion, it's, I'm always amazed where it puts it so succinctly and so plainly where so many of the gospel writers will just say they, there, they crucified him. Mm -hmm. And there's so much contained in those words. So much. And, uh, and John unpacks some of that for us, but just the, the Lord of the universe laid on a wooden cross beam, his hands nailed into the, the beam, his feet nailed into the beam, the, the suffocation that took place. I mean, and it's just simply put there, they crucified him. Mm. Um, so much is contained therein. Uh, you know, the story because we, we celebrate it and remember it every single Easter. But the, the soldiers gather there at the foot of the cross. They take his tunic, his garment that was one uh, seamless uh, garment there. They don't want to rip it. They don't want to tear it because the worth of, of that garment, how much it, it, it cost. And so they decide, you know what, we're going to cast lots for it. You'll see this the uh, in your Bibles, maybe the indented, indented text there referring back to Psalm twenty two eighteen. They divided my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. And so uh, John, even just mindful of the, the fulfillment of Scripture and the fulfillment of prophecies through these things, that God is using these actions of these soldiers that are, are, are not believers, not followers of Jesus, and they, through their actions, we see even in a small way, are carrying out God's plan, even by just not tearing his garment. In, in four pieces and, and going away. So even a small act like that is fulfilling God's sovereign plan, let alone the fact that Jesus is hanging on the cross right now, dying for our sins as part of God's sovereign plan, carried out at the hands of, as Peter said, lawless men in Acts chapter 2. Yeah, no detail in the, the life of the scriptures, and certainly your life, is an accident. Everything there is by God's divine decree. He ordains all things for his glory, for your good. So even as we read these stories about Jesus, it's not just about Jesus. This is about the whole life that God has created for all of us. Uh, Jesus is the pinnacle of that. He's the, he's the ultimate illustration. But man, God cares about the details of every aspect of our lives. Even in the next uh, passage or the next paragraph over, you'll notice Jesus gives his mom uh, care over to John which is one reason why we don't think Joseph's around, because otherwise he wouldn't need to do that. The assumption would be Joseph would pick up. But in this case, Jesus caring for the orphan and the widow, 
is quick to give charge of his mom over to John to make sure that she's well provided for even after he leaves. Yeah, such a, a tender and compassionate moment. I mean, this is not... He's suffering. Yeah, he's on the cross dying. And he cares about his mom. And, yeah, <laughs> and he looks at, at John and he looks at his mom. And, and it's another reminder, by the way, that, that John is the only one of the 12 that's that's here. John's the, wow. the only one at the cross. Everybody else had, had fled, fled yeah. and run. And here you see John. And that's one of the reasons why John so often will say, I, I've seen these things. I've borne witness with my own eyes and you can trust it because I was there. He was there. I was there through it all, through it all. After this, it says quite literally, verse 28 begins that way. After this, Jesus, knowing that all was finished, said to fulfill the scriptures, I thirst and a jar of sour wine stood there and they put a sponge on the sour wine and a hyssop branch and held it to his mouth. When Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, and here it is, it is finished. To tell us that. One word in the Greek, three words that are incredibly impactful for anyone who names Christ as their savior. It is finished. Mm. What was finished? Well, the, the, the substitutionary atonement was finished, that the, the offering had been, been completed, that Jesus had satisfied God's full wrath against our sin. Wow. And that's where the suffering of the cross goes beyond just the physical torment, which was one of the most cruel ways that still today has ever been invented to, to kill someone. But the suffering on the cross included the, the full satisfaction of the, the wrath of God in three hours. What would have taken and what w- is taking, uh, unfortunately, for the, the, the lost an eternity in hell to satisfy and, and, and not even begin to satisfy God's wrath. Jesus satisfied it all in three hours on the cross. So let's riff on that. Someone might wonder, well, how does Jesus sacrifice as one man account for a sacrifice that, it, that can cover an infinite number of people, past, present, and future, when in the Old Testament— when someone sinned, they required an animal sacrifice, and they had ongoing sacrifices. What makes Jesus different such that his life could be atoned, atoning for everybody who would ever live? First is his identity as, as the God-man. And so here you have infinite God on the cross able to absorb the infinite wrath of God. Uh, a, a single human being could never satisfy God's full wrath because he could never satisfy the infinite nature of God's full wrath. But, mm. but Jesus, being God, can absorb the infinite full nature because he's infinite because he's infinite right but the other reason as the writer of hebrews says is because jesus didn't require a sacrifice for himself Hmm. the writer of hebrews says the high priest today the earthly high priest they've got to offer a sacrifice first for themselves and then for the others right and they also are are not eternal they're temporal people they die and so you have to replace that high priest and there has to be new ones that come in and in every single one of them they've got to atone for their own sins before they atone for the sins of the people and then he contrasts that and he said but jesus holds his office permanently and didn't need a sacrifice for his sins and he's finished as he just declared here and is now seated at the right hand of the throne of the father so helpful i've heard some people refer to this uh, this interaction as the quality and quantity uh, Jesus is qualitatively different and better, and he's uh, quantitatively different and better. Uh, the quantity of his sacrifice was infinite. The quality of his person is that he is the perfect uh, son of God and son of man, and that's what makes him able to do that, to sacrifice himself on behalf of all who would ever live, uh, that is, who, those who would trust in him uh, for all time. As it goes on from here, after this, the, the soldier comes up and pierces his side, and blood and water flows out. Um, because they had gone to break his legs because that they typically thought that that 
they would still be alive at this point, and right. they were actually surprised to find out that he was not alive any longer, as we find out later. Um, but John is there, and John's seeing this happen, and there's the, the line that I referenced earlier. He who saw it, verse 35, has borne witness. His testimony is true, and he knows that he's telling the truth that you also may believe. Uh, you have Joseph of Arimathea come with Nicodemus. I, I think that's so cool that Nicodemus is here. I was talking to somebody about it even just last night and uh, talking about the, the progress of, of sometimes someone's faith in coming right. to Christ. We share the gospel with somebody and we want to see them immediately come to faith in Christ. Mm-hmm. But here you have an example with somebody in Nicodemus who had a, a deep knowledge of the scriptures, was familiar with all things having to do with Christ in, in the expected Messiah and everything else. He comes to Jesus all the way back in John chapter three. And he's like, Hey, yep. we want to know who you are. And then he kind of fades from view for a, a while. And, and the whole book, we're kind of going, basically. what happened? Yeah. And then he's here at the cross with Joseph helping to bury Jesus. And I just think that's super cool and, and encouraging and a good reminder to us that it doesn't always happen just on the spot. Immediately you share the gospel with somebody and then they're going to be saved right away. Like rarely does it happen like that though, right? True, true. There are those moments and, and we celebrate those moments. Right. But far more often it's going to be like this. Um, so that's just a, an encouraging reminder to keep pursuing the Nicodemuses in your life. <laughs> Did I get you on that one? He just lost it. He, he's gone. Pastor Rod's. He's man. He's, I was gonna talk and then and I he's back. Swallow something. Oh, okay. I just wanted to make one point before we close. Verse thirty-six. For these things took place that the scripture might be fulfilled. And John points to two scriptures. One says, "Not one of his bones will be broken," and that comes from Exodus chapter twelve, verse forty-six. And I'm not even gonna tell you what that passage is about, but you should go read it. Make the connection in your mind yes. that John makes, so that you don't miss the significance of what he's pointing to. The second one is Zechariah 12.10, where he says, they'll look on him whom they have pierced. That's also something that you should go and read as yes. you finish up your reading today. That also has to do something with why we're dispensationalists. Ooh, Maybe we'll hit that when we get to Zechariah. We will. We probably that. will. Hey, one final thought to take away, Christian, is that's this. Remember those three words. It is finished. It is finished. As you think about where you're at right now before your Heavenly Father today, uh, that is the foundation right there. It's the finished work of Christ on the cross. And there's nothing left for you and I to complete to that. Uh, it's not as though Jesus gave you a, a fresh start and a blank slate. And now you have to be good enough until you die and get to heaven. Mm-hmm. It, it's finished. You are fully righteous with the full righteousness of Jesus. Right. And so um, enjoy that reality, live in that reality. And, and then our lives become an expression of gratitude and worship to him because of that reality. But it is finished. He's done the work. The work is finished. He accomplished it for us on the cross, and he gets all the glory as a result. Tomorrow, we're going to be back with you for another episode of the Daily Bible Podcast. It's going to be a little. It's going to be a little intense, man. Ezra, is it? it yeah. How intense? Well, scale of uh, one to ten. Uh, like six. <laughs> that intense. I'm just knocking things over in my office here. I'm just knocking candles. Probably like a six. six. Yeah. Okay. Well, that's that's like medium intense. Maybe seven. Could be an eight. Just buckle up tomorrow for another episode of the Daily Bible Podcast. See ya. Hey, thanks for joining us for another episode of the Daily Bible Podcast. We hope and pray this has been a blessing to you and your time in the Word. If it has, if you would subscribe to this podcast, leave a like, leave a comment, and share it with some friends and family, that would be awesome. If you need more information about Compass Bible Church here in North Texas, you can go to compassntx.org. Again, that's compassntx.org. And we'll be back with you tomorrow for another episode of the Daily Bible Podcast. Thank you.